0: I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Chapter 6. Now, you might say, we've been sounding off on Galatians 6 for quite a bit. Seemed like every week we refer to Galatians, chapter 6. Well, I had a phone call, an interesting phone call, and it got me thinking because the question was asked Who is a spiritual man? How can I know if I'm spiritual? How could I know if somebody else is spiritual? There's got to be a way to know. Because in Galatians 6 1, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and obviously it referred to women, you know, if one of God's people be overtaken in a fault, he says, You which are spiritual, restore such a one. Then he tells us how to do it, the spirit of meekness and humility and so forth. Several things are obvious. In this verse of Scripture, one is that brethren or sistren Christians are often overtaken in some kind of a blunder or a, a weakness or an error or they mess up in some way. He speaks of it here. He says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fall, you couldn't restore somebody that was not But he said also that they should be restored. They should be brought back into right Order with the Lord. And, and he said he's going to use another Christian to do that. Now, that's what he says in Galatians 6.1. And the qualification of that Christian who will bring restoration to a brother has to be spiritual. Has to be a spiritual person. Now, what your view is of a spiritual man or how you form your idea of who and what does it mean to be spiritual, you may overdo it. You may have a spiritual man so up in the air and so high that that nobody can attain to your standards. He has to be perfect. But that's not what this means. Being a spiritual man does not mean that a man is perfect, has never messed up, never made a mistake, or is one who does not have perhaps some besetting sin that he's wrestling with or she, or maybe somebody who has that weakness, still working on pulling down strongholds. The Bible doesn't say you're qualified as spiritual if you have conquered everything in your life that is there to be conquered. Well, we're going to work on things in our life, apparently our whole life. So that would mean that nobody's ever going to be qualified to restore a brother who falls. And the brother who falls just... Is going to have to languish in the church, and we're just going to say, well, Lord bless him, and nobody's going to be able to help. Everybody stays away from it, stays away from him or her. Oh, what could I say? What could I do? This verse doesn't mean that the only spiritual people are ministry. I know too many of them. Being in the ministry doesn't make you spiritual necessarily. You should be, obviously. But I think there's a lot of people in the ministry in various kinds of situations who are not there on the benefit of God's people, not trying to make things better for people or get ready for people to come to the Lord. They have other reasons for doing it. That's their business, not mine. But being in the ministry doesn't make you spiritual. And sometimes... We get this idea that if I have grown up with certain flaws, I did drugs when I was a kid, you might say I didn't. But you say, well, when I was growing up and in my youth I did drugs or I was arrested and put in jail, I was caught for stealing, I messed up. And you might think now that you're a Christian that you'd be a hypocrite to try to help somebody doing the same thing. Well, how could I tell my child not to smoke pot? I smoked it. Well, how could you tell your child not to drink whiskey if you drank whiskey? We disqualify ourselves from being used of the Lord in some situations because, well, we look at ourselves as we were, not what God is doing or what he has done in us. We see ourselves as we once were, and therefore we disqualify ourselves from being spiritual. Because if you said you were spiritual, that's proud, uh, you know, to elevate yourself like that. And yet God has a different view of it. If we who grew up so imperfect, maybe I should speak for myself, with so many problems, so many flaws, that God has fixed a bunch of them. If we always thought that we would have no right to deal with somebody's life who had the same problems I had, then hardly anybody would ever get dealt with. But who would be better to talk to somebody who's, doing drugs or in a jail than somebody who did that themselves. They know what they're feeling like. They know why they get depressed and need drugs to function. They know why they felt hopeless about ever making it in life and turned to stealing. Maybe they could get ahead that way, or gambling. A growing Christian doesn't say, I can't help those people because I was like that. No, they say, you know, God delivered me from that. I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. I know what the solution is in your life. That's what a man who needs to be restored, that's what a a person needs to hear. Somebody that can identify his problem or her problem. And somebody who can come into their life with a solution and not condemnation whose whole goal is to bring you back into your good right standing with God. All your sins have been forgiven. Your weaknesses you got to work on. But none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect, but I know how to overcome this. Would that be a spiritual man, a woman? Who is spiritual? How would you determine who's a spiritual person? How can I know if I'm spiritual? Would I be qualified? I was a sinner once. The Bible says all we like sheep had gone astray. Well, how can we who have gone astray restore somebody who's gone astray? But the very fact that you have gone astray and been recovered by God will enable you to relate to people that are going astray. Otherwise, evangelism is just a program. You take a man that's been lost and knows what it's like to be lost and feel hopeless spiritually in this world, and then have somebody just like him that's been cleaned up and recovered come into his life and relate to him and show him the way out of that dark place he's in, you get him saved. We call that evangelism. The people who are best at it are the people who remember who they were and where they were and know that they've been forgiven and they have compassion and feeling, empathy for those in the same situation because they are, in that sense, they are spiritual. They have been led, worked on by the Spirit of God. They have seen things in a spiritual way they never saw before. What they saw has affected a change in their life. They are able to carry that message of change to somebody else who needs it because there's something of the Spirit in these people. God is doing a spiritual work in people. The Bible shows us there are three classes of men in the New Testament. That's what we're most interested in here. There are three kinds of people. This is not a message for men only. The title of the message is, Who is a Spiritual Man? But I don't want to exclude the ladies. Mankind is a word which covers all of us. And a woman came from a man, all of that kind of stuff. But who is a spiritual person? Who is a spiritual person? Well, you're one of three categories this morning. You'll fit into one of these three. And all three of these are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Let's read that. First Corinthians 2, verse 14, about a natural man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. Natural man, meaning natural soul, natural person, man or woman. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, because the Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. He cannot know them. He can try, but he cannot. He is incapable of getting it right, because he is a natural man. And he says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, if the Bible says this natural man here is incapable of, Of getting anything spiritual right, then it means that there is a void, a blank, a blindness, a covering over his comprehension powers, abilities, where he cannot see things, get things right spiritually. He can listen to sermons. He can go to church and join church. He can be a preacher. But he can't get it right because he's a natural man. Now, the word we get for natural here. Is in that Greek family of words that has to do with soul. He would be a soulish man, a man of soul. And soul just simply refers to man. God made Adam. He became a living soul, a human, just a human being without anything of God guiding him later on. He's the soul, a person, a being, existing And a man who is in this world existing without the life of God in him is, as he said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, he is in this world without Christ, without hope, and without God. Now, you can't always tell by looking at him that all of those things are lodged in his heart. We call that death. He has the spirit of death lodged in him. He cannot be anything other than what he is, a walking dead man. He looks good. He sounds good. He may be very intelligent. He may be somewhat sophisticated and advanced in ways and admired by people, but he's a dead man. And when he dies, he goes where dead people go. He can be nothing else. He can do nothing else. He has no power of all of his learning and advancement. He has no power to make himself spiritual. He's doomed. And a man who is untapped by the Lord, any man, is a natural man. He cannot receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Talking about receiving, this word for Receiving means that he cannot admit these words to his heart. What he's learned in the world, because he is a worldly man, what he has learned in this world prevents him from accepting something that is so different from the world. How could that be? A natural man with natural knowledge tries to make natural miracles and spiritual things. And he he said, how can that be? How can any mortal being, lay hands on a sick person, and then they just get healed. How can that be? And the biggest stumbling block they have, how is it that a man can die and be buried and come back to life? That doesn't happen. That's not possible. So he views the words of God as not only foolishness, far-fetched, absurd, But he is unable to receive those things. So, therefore, he rejects it or he refuses to accept it. He may admire your diligence in studying the Bible. He may think well of you as sincere and good and kind. But he really thinks you're off. You're living in a time when most of the world thinks like this. Almost all the world is full of natural men. They do not admire Christianity, they do not love the Bible, they think it's good to have one, they think that all churches ought to at least use it, but a natural man has been taught that it's an outdated book. When it was written, it was written for a time that has long since passed. All the particulars of that age are really outdated and in the dust now. It's hard for me, living in this 21st century, to see the Bible as a book of God. It's been copied so many times in new translations. Who is to say what is accurate? I believe there are statements in the Bible that are probably God sent. But it's been tarnished so much, and it's been copied so much that, I mean, nobody is able to know what part of it is of God and what part of it isn't. So to keep the admiration of Christian people, this intelligent gentleman will say, now I do believe the Bible contains the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is contained in the Bible. I do not believe all the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, I would not base my life on what's been added to the Bible, because God didn't say that, man did. But I'm not smart enough to tell you what part God said and what part man said. Therefore, I just hold the book in admiration as having endured for centuries, but I do not view it as a way of life or the way of life or as an accurate word of God. Now, if you want to use it and get some better moral behavior out of it, I think that's fine. If you want to teach its principles and the well, they call them the Ten Commandments. If you want to teach those kind of things, I think that's fine. I mean, that's, that, that's your business. You Christians need that. I just don't think that the, in this day and age, anybody that's sensible or reasonable would look at the Bible and see that it's a book that we should order our lives by. I cannot accept that. I will not do that. I will not say you can't, because if that's what you want to do here in America, you do that. But I just think that you're living in the past. Because the book is old. Do you believe anybody talks like that? What if I told you today that colleges and universities are full of scholarly professors who impress your children, so that they believe what these uh, what these people say? They think they're smart. And they're talking them all out of the Bible. It's okay to live together. It's okay to do drugs. After all, who's to tell you that you can't do this? And all oh, the Bible said that The Bible says a lot of things. But you're going to have to realize this is the 21st century. You can't live your life by something you don't even understand. You probably never read it all the way through. You never studied the Hebrew or the Greek. How do you know it's right? That's what I'd say to them. The Bible's not for today. I'd say to them. I would. How do you know it's not? Who told you? Have you ever studied the Bible? Well, I don't have time. Oh okay, so you never have you ever read it? Well, I read some of you never read the book. Have you ever read it in Hebrew or Greek? Do you understand anything about that? No. Well then you don't know what you're talking about. But I had to say that better. I had to say that thou poor soul. See, I'd have to be more sophisticated. They wouldn't waste their time talking to some hillbilly like me anyway, and I don't care because we don't have much to talk about. I'm just saying that the natural man can be a very advanced man socially. can be a book writer, very intelligent. And what he will do if you hang around him, he will talk you out of the principles that God gave you to live by. He will talk you out of it. And he will tell you in his sophisticated way why this is foolish. Why it's not sensible and why it's not reasonable and why things like this are not for today. He will tell you that. Put your finger here and turn to Romans chapter 8. He, in essence, or in a sense, is the enemy of God. He's working against God. In fact, the spirit of Antichrist is in him. Because he is against the ways of God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I do believe, as I'm standing here today, and I cannot prove it, so it's not a qualified statement. But I believe the institutions of higher learning in America, the universities and colleges, are full of natural knowledge, natural people, and they will have a serious effect on a Christian in that environment. When you're around it, Trust me, if you stand close enough to a fire, when you come into the house, we knew where you were standing. Just like years ago, I was speaking in southern Illinois. And the pastor there one day let me run around with a farmer who had a large hog operation. And he walked up to the door, open door, just showed me as far as you can see that way and as far as you can see this way, there were pens full of hogs. Pigs, hogs, swine, what you know, hogs. And he said, well, I wouldn't go in there if I just wanted to show it to you. I said, well, can I walk in? He said, yeah. I said, i am meeting the car. And I went in there about a minute. And I came out and got in the car. And he said, whew, I know where you've been. See, you hang around them just a little bit, you'll start smelling like them. I don't know if you start acting like them or not, if you hang around them very long, but you'll smell like them. My mom and dad smoked so much, the house stunk. Now, my parents' house stunk. It stinketh because it smelleth like smoke. They both smoke. My dad would smoke anything cigars, pipes. They saw him to quit smoking cigarettes. He started smoking cigars, and he'd draw that cigar down. That thing wear you out. In our house, smell like smoke. And you go in there, and you come out. If anybody's in the car and says, "Shoo! you smell like you stink. See, I believe in a spiritual sense, the world's like that. You hang around them. You run with that crowd very much, with these kind of people, natural people. Hang around them. Tolerate their views and conversations as you're trying to be their friend. And you'll drag that mess home with you. And at some point, trust me, a little leaven, it begins to leaven the whole lump when you start using their arguments against your own family or against your own friends. You're being persuaded. You're being drawn. The Bible tells us to be separate, didn't he? Come out from among them. Don't smell like them. Don't talk like them. Don't think like them. Stay away from them. The great disaster in Israel when... God's people came out of Egypt and went into the promised land. The great disaster. God said, get rid of all of them. Don't leave a baby in this place. Get rid of the whole bunch of heathens. And they let a few remain. And in time, those few who gathered strength corrupted all of Israel so that God said, you are now worse than the people who lived here before I gave it to you. And he ran them off. They were scattered for 2,000 years. And for these people who believe the Bible is an outdated book, have you ever heard of the word Israel? You ever heard of Israel? Scattered for 2,000 years, an ancient religion, an ancient language. Almost forgotten their language and scattered all over the world. Probably tribal distinctions were who knows what. Here, there, and everywhere. For 2,000 years, how much change can take place in 2,000 years? And yet God said in Jeremiah, that old outdated book, he's going to put hooks in her jaws. He's going to bring them back. He's bringing them back now while we're living in our generation at this particular moment. They're coming back, and they want them all back. They want them back. They want them to build houses and, and make settlements and kibbutzes. They want all of that. They want all their people back. Of course, our country is trying to tell their country what they can do and can't do with their land. If I was them, I'd say to all the rest of the world, we're going to build houses where we want to in our land. I don't need the United States to tell me how to get the speck out of my eye when they got a log jam in their eye. This world, this natural man, when he gets into church, he's a disaster. For he questions everything. Oh, I don't know. I don't really disagree. But now, on the other hand, he's got so many hands, he ought to cut them all off. Because he can't accept anything as being absolute. For there are no absolutes. Truth? Well, the truth is that which can be scientifically verified. If it cannot be scientifically verified, then how could you ever call it truth? It becomes a myth, an opinion, an idea. However lofty it is, it's nothing more than the concoction of a man's mind to say this is right. But if you can't prove it, it can't be right. That's the way they talk. Were you there when the stone was rolled away? No. They say today, well, how do you know that's the right place? I was in there once. Walked in there and spoke in tongues. Oh, I did. Me and five billion more people went in the same little place. 100,000 of them spoke in tongues. I hope they all did. How do you know that's the place? Golgotha, how do you know that's the place? Or this other place, how do you know that's the place? You don't. Well, then how do you know it even happened? Were you there? No. Nobody of note historically said anything about it. Nobody who was of repute wrote anything about it. We believe you Christians have made all this up. Well, a natural man hears that kind of stuff, and he begins to think with his natural mind. Maybe there's truth in that. So he begins to picture God as an if, as a possibility. And then again, he wonders, well, if he is God and he's loving and kind and compassion, and I look at all the death and the squalor and all the filth and the sickness and the crime and the meanness all over the world, and, and he's in control of the world, something's wrong here. I've had people ask me, that, well, God is all this and why all of that? I said, because <laughs> it's easy to answer. Because every man has a will, and a man's will, when it's not attached to God, he becomes corrupt. And he corrupts everything he does. God didn't stop it. God didn't stop it. God didn't make Adam and tell him to go sin. I want you to sin so I can put into operation my program. Of course he knew he was going to do it. Any more than I would give The keys to my 16-year-old with his driver, I wouldn't say, Thomas, go out and wreck my car. How many parents would give the keys to their new driver and say, go out and see how fast it'll go? (laughs) See if you can do a 360. See how far you can go from stoplight to stoplight. Let her just roar. See if you can roll it over tonight. Not a decent parent has ever lived unless one was warped. A decent parent never has lived that said that. But kids do that not because their parents want them to or gave them permission to do that. But they did it anyway because of their nature. And that's how we prove ourselves to God. That's how we tell God how we want him to deal with us. It's our decisions. And a natural man can't make right ones. He can't do the right thing. He can't make the right decision. He can't go the right direction. Have you found Romans 8 yet? All right. Romans 8 and verse 5. For they that are after the flesh... Now, flesh here is not the word for soul, but the way it is described, it would apply to a natural man. Let me show you. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, or a spiritual man, would mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, and here we go back to 1 Corinthians 2.14, the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Can't be. You can't read him enough Bible. You can't talk to him enough. He cannot He cannot be. To be carnally worldly, or let me use the word natural. Again, this is not the Greek word here. In fact, this word here will be in the next category, but it really applies to this category. To be carnally minded is death. He cannot please God. No matter how hard he tries, he can't do it. He may accomplish some religious advancement. He may write a book on religion. But he cannot understand what God says, and therefore his life never changes to a spiritual man. While he is religious, he's still a good old boy. He offends nobody with his religion because he's never changed. Jesus said this about a spiritual man. A spiritual man the world will hate. They will despise him. They will reject him. They will persecute him. They will put him out of their midst. A spiritual man. And yet he's the only one that God will ever use amongst us to be our brother's keeper. This is what evangelism is all about right here. This is who we go to. These are the guys on the street corners in the whatever bad places in life or the smart places in life. This is who God sends his people to with the message of salvation because these are the ones who need it. Church wasn't made for these people. If they can't get it and they came in here, and I'm not here this morning as an evangelist, I'm not trying to get anybody saved. I can't save anybody anyway. I'm not even sure I can offer salvation to anybody. God's the one who gives it. All I do is proclaim it. If he wants to bring them in, that's his work. I may be passionate about my message to compel you to believe this, but only God can make it work. But this is what evangelism is all about. These are the lost people that Christians should be sent to, the natural men. Secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, carnal man. And brethren, he said in verse 1, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, the word spiritual there is the same word that is used in Galatians chapter 6. Ye who are spiritual, same word. He said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, would you think about this for just a moment? Would Paul like to speak to spiritual people? Then there are spiritual people in the church. He said, I couldn't speak to you as into spiritual people, but as into what? Carnal. Now, the word for carnal is flesh. Sarkikos. This is a soulish man, this is a flesh man. Now, Paul speaks to him. He's not out of bounds of hearing the word, but oh, what a problem he is. What a problem he is. Let me read again. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spirituals, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, because it is a weight. You not only could not bear it, you were unwilling to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. Neither yet now are you able to do what? Let's study for a moment. You are not yet able. What does he mean, able to do what? To bear? To bear what? The word. Now, bear it doesn't mean just hold it up and carry it around, but bear it means to let its weight settle in upon you so that it becomes a part of you. You can't do that yet. Now, the possibility is with you, even though you are carnal. And I don't like, I really don't like this carnal Christian stuff. People write little tracts about carnal Christians, and we dismiss them from their need to be mature Christians. And like so many in the church, the nature of man is, it give me the easiest way possible. Just tell me exactly one little bitty thing what I must do to... Go to heaven. Somebody asked me that once. I said, well, that's simple. Just believe God. Well, I believe God. So the next week they come, you teach them what it means to believe God, and then they get all mad. It's like, I don't want to know what all that means. I don't want you to explain to me what is meant by believe. See, in my mind, to me, believe is to simply mentally acknowledge what was said as being true. If you have faith, you don't have to prove it. Faith just accepts it as true because God said it. Proving it wouldn't make me believe it better. I just believe it because it says it. And then you start teaching on the word believe. Believe is a verb. It shows action. Here are some instances of where the word believe is used. Look what it says. And then a person begins stirring in their seat because they know that they're not exercising themselves like that. They're believing with words only, like James 2. Anybody can believe. The devil believes. But if you say you believe or you have faith and there's no action to verify your faith, you don't have faith. You have religion. You have a mental conception, idea of God and what he's like And how he probably feels, and he thinks like I think, he knows that we're all weak and nobody is always capable, and and he understands that. And so you develop a theology in your little mind that you say, well, because God knows that we're just in the flesh, we're always going to struggle, and we really can't overcome it. Well, then, you know, just do Do the best you can and quit trying to be perfect. You can't anyway. And you give a people a license to be weak. You give a people a license to not try. You don't think anymore like you can make it on God's terms. But you're going to heaven because everybody else like you is going to heaven. You know, religion is just another part of your life. It doesn't affect your life. It certainly isn't making you spiritual. And therefore, not being spiritual, you become useless to the Lord. You're not useful. Didn't he say that if a man would purge himself from the stuff in his life, would he and stubble, those are weak things in your life. They're things that God's going to expose. Didn't he say that if we would purge ourselves from these, we would be, First Timothy 2, that we would be a vessel unto honor and sanctified? He said, useful to the master? Useful. God will be able to use us. But if we never grow any, if we don't come into some kind of a higher a light in a deeper way than we've ever known, we just dismiss ourselves from our need of that. Well, I can't. Well, that's too hard. Then you become like a little baby. All you want is milk. How frustrating it would be if the preacher wanted to teach you some deeper things about God, his attributes, for example. And you just don't want to have to wrestle on and just, oh, that that, that theology stuff just kind of, you know, I just, I was called Misigi. What do you teach? Well, that poor pastor has to, every week, get a milky little something with a nice new nipple on the end of it so he can <coughs> his little church for 20 minutes and <coughs> make them all feel good. Make them all little, baby you go home, oh, sweet sweet, and so they can go home. Where y'all are going? We're going to go to church this morning. And the preacher said, "Hello this morning. How you doing?" Oh. Well, if he says, "I could not preach unto you as unto spirituals, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, I can only give you milk because you won't tolerate anything else." What if we took all the two, three, four-year-olds, and put them on the first two rows, and I began to preach to them about the cross, crucifying yourself. How long would it be before I'd have to quit? (laughs) How long could you preach to that little crowd before they were just totally wore out, weary, and ready for trouble? You couldn't even tell them to open their Bible. They couldn't find it where you tell them to turn to. They're not familiar with it. They'd like draw in it, draw pictures, and put, trace their palm on one of the pages or something. Because they're babies. They want something they like. Not too many years ago, three or four years ago, we had vacation Bible school here. I'd never done that before. Some of the ladies wanted to do it, and they asked me if I'd help. Yeah, I'll do it. Make you all happy. I'll do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, a little politics. And so I said, sure. So they asked me to come out every day and have a little time with all the kids about the Lord's Prayer. And they were all sitting here all giggling, you know. This is not real church, is it? No, this is fun church. That's what kids would want. And so I got down on their level. And I had a good time. I think they had a good time. But boy, if I had to do that all the time, I'd quit. We're going to have to go better than that. A parent one day had an outline of the message, and his young child said, "What is that?" He said, "That's what the preacher's talking about." And the little fellow said, "How far down a paper is he?" He pointed up to the top. (laughs) (laughs) We got all the rest of that in the back. Oh. But that's children. Children are limited as to what they can hear, how far they're willing to go. They don't know the language of the Spirit yet. They still talk about how they feel and what they think, and I can't, and and I like to die, and it's killing me, and I thought you're just rotten to the... They don't know any other way. That's baby talk. If we're mature, we have to tolerate that. Because in Romans 14, 1, they're weak in the faith. You may try to correct them with all their best theology in the world, but you can't. They've got to grow. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. This is what Paul said about what I just talked about. Beginning in verse 11. He said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be Uttered. What do you mean? You have a hard time pronouncing Where Do you stutter? Can you not pronounce the difficult? No. I mean, what he's talking about, that's not a natural thing here. What he's talking about, Paul's preaching about, he said, you know, some things that I really have had revelation about. God has shown me some wonderful things. To me, they're just wonderful, really interesting and things to learn. I'd love to teach you. I'd love to show the same thing to you that God has shown to me. But he said, but I cannot. It's hard for me to do it. Why? Does it say because you are dull of hearing? Let me ask you a question. Can we ever have a dull meeting because people are dull of hearing? I'm not saying the preacher's perfect. Don't take me wrong there. I'm not saying it's all me and, and poor you. I'm just saying, is it possible that we could be right, have the right message, have it bathed in prayer just enough that it's ready, out of the oven, ready to give to the people, a good loaf of bread, and they cannot receive it because they are dull of hearing? Is that possible? Then how in the world, if we are dull of hearing something that makes us spiritual, how could we ever be spiritual? You're not spiritual because you're perfect or without weaknesses or flaws. Or The people who know you best know you're not perfect. Ask her. Ask me. But you know a person's life, how they think, how they act, react, respond. How they're convicted about things. How they draw back. These are spiritual people. There's evidence of the Spirit restraining them or loosing them or guiding them or controlling them. They didn't used to be like that, but they are now because they've grown. These here, babies don't hardly grow. Babies like baby food. They like their little pablum and they like their little bottle. Give them a little spoonful of that nasty tasting stuff that baby food tastes like. You ever taste it? Whew. And when they grow up, they buy a preacher that teaches like that. And that's all they ever hear. They're babies. They're adult babies. They're good people. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people. They've just never grown much. Some apparently do, obviously. But for the most part, it's still down low. They dread hearing, as a preacher friend of mine said once, In our circles, the other faith camp, another direction, there was another faith camp out west. And he was amongst them. And he got a hold of some tapes on theology. And he thought, how good this is. And he went back to his little church there in Illinois. And he started teaching these deeper things. You know what the folks in the church said after two weeks of that? One of the main men came up to him. He said, Brother, so-and-so, I don't know what you're into. I don't know what's going on or what you've been hearing. But he said, Brother, we haven't had a message on prosperity around here in a month. Don't deal with stuff in our life that makes us wrestle. Give us some smooth stuff, man. Spoon feed us. Make us feel good. Babies like to feel good. Don't keep us here long. The sermon's, what, 22 minutes long? you going to pay me $100,000 a year. I guess they get that much. Maybe more than that. You're going to pay me $200,000 a year to preach 22 minutes, and that's all you want? That's all we want. No more than that. No more than that. Don't rock the boat. Make us happy. Keep us in the primary, and we'll keep you here. I'm not sure the preacher wouldn't die. He can't study things that require a lot of thought. Because his people don't want to think. He can't urge them into where you're going to have to take some time out in the week and meditate on what you've heard. Because they don't want to do that. I like to laugh and have a good time and all of that. I don't want to have to deal with my life. Are you still in Hebrews 5? Go back to verse 11 again. You're dull of hearing. Dull is the same word as in Hebrews six twelve is translated, be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Well the word slothful is the same Greek word as dull is here. So don't be lazy listeners. Don't come here today just to be here without the intention of hearing what God's saying to you. Don't do that. But when the time comes, verse twelve, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be able to explain what you believe to other people. This is how you restore brothers. And this is who he's talking to, us. The time should come when you should be teachers, explainers. Not pulpit preachers, but those apt to teach. Able to explain, ready to give an answer to every man. With the time come you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again. The same old stuff week after week after week. And you said, and you are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. That's like 1 Corinthians 3. Notice verse 13. For everyone that uses milk is inexperienced, unskillful in the word of righteousness. Why? He's a babe. At least, listen, and I'll give you this much. I'm not good on giving, ground and carnality. But at least they are babes in Christ. They're not outside. They are in. They don't know why they're in yet and what they're supposed to do because somebody's teaching them. They don't have to do anything. Just sit there and admire this whatever, the scenery. But it says, everyone that uses milk, verse 13, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That's what carnality does to a person. He's weak in the faith. Doesn't know what to do all the time, but it really doesn't matter because, well, he's been taught it's okay to be weak. Not really trying to do well. These are some of the people that you should respond to. They're not growing. They're not learning anything. They're listening. But they're not growing. They're complaining. They whine about how long a sermon lasts. and My kids have to get up and go to school in the morning, and and we can't sit here all night and listen to you like when's the last time we did. When's the last time I made you sit here all night long and listen to me? Don't you raise your hand. Well, I worked hard today, and I need my rest. Well, then go home. That's sensible to you. That's reasonable and logical to you, and the world would applaud that. That's right. Well, my kids need to go home and get some sleep, because they got to go to school in the morning. Well, of course they got to go to school in the morning. Well, then take them home. Take them home. Stay home on church night. Stay there. That makes sense to you. That's reasonable for you. Well, don't you care about our kids as much as you do? I like to teach them. I like to see them come up and be ministers. I like for the whole bunch in here to be ministers. Walking out there and proclaiming a gospel truth that cannot be faulted to a lost world. I love it. All over the world, scattered, may never see you again until we get to heaven. I'd love, not, not seeing you, but I'd love the fact that God was able to reach your heart and turn you into a spiritual man or woman and give you a deeper purpose in life than trying to get a house, a car, or a new dress. Give you a, a reason for the first things. First is a kingdom. And to dig in there and find out what that's all about and to study and ask questions about that. And and God pray, oh my, I'd rather you be like that. Because you'd be a spiritual person if you do that. That's what spiritual people do. They grow. They learn. When they learn, they change. They go from, to, and from, and to. They grow up into Him in all things. They're not satisfied with existence or having a church to go to. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to be the kind of person that God wants them to be. If they complain all the time and whine all the time, (laughs) go back to 1 Corinthians 3, so many times these same people, And I know I'm not talking to you all this morning. I'm talking to some poor souls out there somewhere. They just cause a lot of trouble. Look at verse 3 and 4. For you're carnal. Again, I'm not talking to you because I know you're not carnal. But if somebody happened to be on the edge here, listen to this. This is how you can tell who's carnal. He said, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions... Are you not carnal and walk like the natural man? Well, while one of you says, well, I'm a Baptist and I'm a Methodist or I'm a Paul and I'm a whatever, whatever distinction you add to yourself as what you're following, he said you are carnal. Didn't he? I go to Hamilton's church. You're carnal. You're a Christian. Well, you may tell them where you go to church. I don't mean that. But when we fight and argue and fuss, though little fits, what do you say in chapter 1, verse 11 over there? For it has been declared to me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of glory, that there are contentions among you, fighting and fussing among you. When you're fighting and fussing, it's James chapter 3. This is soulish stuff. This kind of wisdom comes from the devil. Who's right and who's wrong and how can I outdo you? I'm of Paul, and I'm of this one, or I said under so-and-so. A lot of people have talked like that down through the years. They didn't turn out so well. These babes in Christ are not the people that God is going to use to restore anybody because their testimony is not clean before others that know them. And a person that can't get over the hump of even bringing his Bible to church or whatever simple thing somebody might notice in you, and that person needs restoration, they're not going to listen to you. They know by your life. You're not growing. They've listened to you tell stories about things that you all tell stories about. They heard you talk. They know who you run around with. They know who your friends are. They know who you spend time with. They often know what those people you spend time with, how they think. And what their life is about. And you're in the midst of all of that? And how are you going to restore me back to a place that I've fallen from? I have no confidence in you. But now, let's get the third one. Because you're one of these three. Which one are you all? I don't want to answer. Because the third man is the spiritual man. And a spiritual man is different because he is spiritual. He's been born again for one thing, he's been regenerated. He's had God to inform him, give him some information that he never had before. God gives him things with wisdom, and and he understands it. And he starts growing. He's becoming a spiritual man. A spiritual man is a process. A spiritual man is a work in progress. We all start down here. God has taken us to a higher level. This journey up is making us spiritual. And as long as you go up, you're becoming and qualifying as spiritual. Not perfect. Not without fault or flaws or weaknesses that others might detect. But you're working on them. You're not leaving stuff undone. You're living a convicted life. The things you used to do, you won't do anymore because God has shown you a way that's right. And you know you can't do what was wrong. You break away from some of your old friends or some of the old things and places you used to go. Put your finger wherever you are again go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. This is good. Verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, that's a deeper word. That you might walk. This is what a spiritual man does now. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That's your goal. Being fruitful in every good work. And when you're not, you go back and do it again. And increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what a spiritual man is in verse 10. It goes on. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering, with joyfulness, or with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or qualified to be partakers of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son. That's the spiritual man right there. He has not fully arrived yet. He is headed that way. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, he goes to church. Yes, he or she studies. Yes, yes, yes. All of those activities are going on in their life, but in the bigger picture, it's working for them. Your mouth is being subdued by the power of God because you're willing to yield to this power. That the greater one in you is having access to your will because you consent to his word. And you're changing. Didn't we sing a song, he's uh, changing uh, somebody? I'm not the uh, same uh person that I used to be, sometimes, for y'all, it's slow going. No, no, sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that this is going to work. This is a spiritual man. Who else would think in terms of helping somebody else except a man who has learned what it means to be helped, or a woman? Somebody who has progressed along the way. Maybe not much, but you're not stagnant either. The river of life is a flowing stream. It's not a pool that's got moss all over it. It's a flowing stream. I'd like to add to this, somebody who has received the Holy Spirit. How could you be spiritual without it? Spiritual, spirit, you can't disconnect. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes in, he doesn't come in to make you anything. He doesn't come in to do anything. He comes in to reveal. Well, he reveals. That's what he does. It's got to be your will to be willing to respond to those things that the Spirit of God gives you to do. Go back to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2 again. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but what? In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. How would you know? Let me ask you all a question. If the Spirit of God anoints a message so that it's released by the direction of God to the people. And if there is an anointing on your heart, and you're not dull of hearing, but there is a true anointing, a desire to receive and to hear on your heart, and God sends his word out, maybe to just a few people, but he sends his word out, and that anointing goes forth, is that not to you a demonstration of his power? Who else could teach you? The natural man can't learn, can he? And yet I would imagine that he's smarter than all of us. That his ability to put things together, facts together, and historical or maybe in a seminary, biblical, I don't know. I've never been. I don't know. But he can't get spiritual things right. And a baby who could is just restrained and restricted and not interested they go they see a need but they but a spiritual man this is who it's a pleasure to preach to this is what makes the whole week of preparation worth it it's just that hour or two a week in which things come out when this work of the spirit just Let's things go. The word goes out. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody gets it. But somebody does. Even though there's been times it seems like, whew, you speak a word and it comes back and hits you right in your face. And you struggle. And you can't remember. And you don't know what you said. And people don't seem to care. Wow. But he said in verse 5, it happens like that that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. That's Brother Hamilton speaking, "Wow. But it ain't Brother Hamilton? I hope there's a wow. Verse six, and get this one now, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect." Uh-oh, now we're all doomed again. Paul said, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Who is? What if I said, don't do this? What if I said, look around you, look beside you, in front of you, behind you. Do a quick evaluation of how perfect that person is. And you'll think, ain't nobody in here perfect. In the English translations, they're written. But our word perfect here does not mean having arrived with no more work to be done or incapable of sin. It's the word teleos, which could mean... Having reached the end of your goal, Jesus was made perfect, which simply means he was brought to the end of his mission. He reached his goal. For that for which God sent him to do, he did it. Or it could mean mature, or it could be full age or fully grown. Here I think the word has to do with those that are going. I think it's a process that we spoke of, that they are growing and that they are going. Look in verse 15. Now, I want you to remember the word perfect in verse 6. I'll bring it up in just a moment. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual. Here's our same word for spiritual, spiritual man. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, let me show you something. In verse 14, at the end of verse 14... It says that the natural man, he cannot know spiritual things because they are spiritually discerned. Do you see the word discerned? Anakrino. And the word discerned, there is the exact same Greek word as judged in the next verse. And it says about the natural man that he is unable to investigate he is unable to scrutinize. A judge has to examine all the facts. He can't make an honest, just decision unless he looks at both sides and reaches a conclusion. But he has to judge like that. He has to judge fairly. So do we. He said a natural man can't do that. Think of how many judges sitting on court today are natural men. You say, well, it ain't fair. How could it be fair? We're not playing what's fair. But he said, but he that is spiritual, he that is spiritual judges all things. What does that mean? Well, it means what it says. He that is spiritual investigates everything. He doesn't believe because I say it. He listens. He comes to listen and learn. You remember the other day we were talking about seeking God? It becomes a matter of something he's going to get to the bottom of and learn what it means. So he does what that word means. He begins to investigate. He begins to sift the sifting process of thinking and comparing and going from Scripture to Scripture. And he enjoys his time because he is spending his time before the Lord and God is going to show him something. Have you ever heard of the noble Bereans? You know what made the Bereans so outstanding to the Apostle Paul? They did not receive it as right because Paul said it. But you know what they did? They searched the Scriptures daily to see if what the man said was true. And Paul said, that's the way it ought to be. Because that's what spiritual people do. They hear some outstanding thing on the TV or the radio or some new thing going around. Instead of going, wow, they go, well, let's see. And people say, why are you so harsh? I'm not harsh. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be hoodwinked and misled by anybody. Not you, not my friends, not anybody. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. A spiritual man will investigate what he hears, if it's something beyond what he knows, maybe you're not familiar with, he will scrutinize and go through that till he reaches the bottom of it. Let me show you one verse in the Bible as we come to a close that explains clearly what a spiritual man is. In light of all these other things, a man with the Spirit, following the Spirit, a heart for God convicted of sins, trying to live right. Let me give you a verse that puts it all together. Hebrews 5. You were there a while ago, and remember the word perfect we used a while ago? Hebrews chapter 5. and verse 14, Paul said, I could not feed you with strong meat. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 3? Because you can't handle it. Who can I'm asking you, who can handle strong meat? He says in verse 14, But strong meat belongs to them that are what? That's the same word for perfect that we read a while ago. Paul said, We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That is, we give strong meat to those that are full age. They're maturing. They're growing up. They're not acting like little kids. They quit that. That didn't work. He said, but strong meat belongs to spiritual people, even those, now here we go, even those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. That's why you investigate. That's why you scrutinize. That's why you study. That's why you come to a place where you know what you believe and don't depend on everybody else to do your believing for you, to do your knowing for you. I like to be challenged. I like the days in which I'm challenged. And then to try to put my thoughts on paper. Because sometimes you get to hear what they are this morning. Because I want you all to know that you can be, if you're not, you can be spiritual. You probably are anyway. You've learned a lot of things. You've grown a lot. You know you're not perfect, but you also know you care. But you don't want to see people go through the valley of the shadow and weep and be in sorrow. You want them to recover. That's why before you go, you often pray. You've been there. You know what that's like. You know what it was like when your mother, your brother, your friend went through that and how much devastation it occurred. And you don't want that to happen to you, to your brother or sister in the church. So you pray and you pray for wisdom, how you can direct the right words, the right way to a heart that needs it. Because you're spiritual. You don't have any wings yet. But that work of the Spirit in you to direct your paths is what being spiritual is. And so we no longer can just draw back and say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's too much for me. Oh, boy. Let me give you one last verse. You will like this verse. Isaiah chapter 50. In verse 4, the Lord God has given me, how about you? Let's pray that he does. God, work this in each one of us here this morning. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. May he awaken me morning by morning, to hear what he is saying. can you do that? I got another verse. I don't want to lose that one. What verse did I just tell you to read, Isaiah 50 verse four, and it says that he awakens my ear morning by morning to hear as the what? Can you learn? How many of you do believe you're learning? But He's talking to you. He's giving you, if you will listen, a word now ready in season for a person in your life who is weary. He's giving you that. You're part of what God is going. This is how God will minister to people. He will use people to minister people just like He will use people to bring people to the Lord. Oh, I have written unto you, 1 John two fourteen 14 or 16, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's a spiritual man. How about you? Are you willing to admit that there's hope for you in being a spiritual person? Bow your head. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit's power and work, would minister to all of us here, those who listen this morning, wherever they are, that our eyes would be open to see things the right way, there would be courage in our hearts to do things that way, I pray this morning that you would do a work in our heart to make us be our brother or our sister's keeper. To feel that urge to help, to hear a word in season for a reason, to minister to those that are weary. God, I pray you would take what you've heard, make us strong with it. Not proud, but strong. And that those outside of these doors this morning who are awaiting our presence with a word in season, that you will prepare them for us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.